Good morning. Welcome to Milestone Church. So glad that you are here. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And as Katie said, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we are in our series called Promises. We're well on our way. Uh, We've had a few introductory weeks, and now we're into week three. And we've been looking at this principle of God's promises. We've been looking at this theme, this thread that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we see God's promise, the promise that we have in Jesus throughout God's Word. We've been looking at Scripture Scripture, like uh, all of God's promises, are yes and amen. What does that mean? What does that look like for our life? How do we apply it to our life? We've been recognizing that we have a greater guarantee in Jesus and and what that means for us and and how we live that out. And so we've been laying this foundation. And what I want us to just remember is the group is good. Hopefully you've got in a group. The guide is good. Hopefully you have a guide and that's been helpful. Uh, Hopefully you're enjoying the weekend messages, but it's not the guide, it's not the group, and it's not any words that I have to say that are going to really bring transformation in your life. It's Jesus. It's you experiencing Jesus in your life and what that looks like. And and so today what I want to do is hopefully kind of make it real practical and actually the next couple of weeks make it very practical in what it looks like in tying together this experience that we have. You know, when I think about experience, I think about the experience our high school students had. We had some high school students that went to our Battle of the Sexes retreat. They just got back, so if they look a little tired and weary, moms and dads who had students there, I'm sure they'll nap real good this afternoon after you feed them. They may not even want to eat. they just go straight to sleep. Okay, and uh, I mean, they'll get right after it. I love not only seeing what God does in our students, but also our leaders. I did, I, I, I saw a video of one of our leaders, a female leader that went in there. They do this thing called the tire pull, and you run to the middle and you grab a tire and you're just, it's all about winning. If you've been around me long enough, we don't play for fun. We play to win. So when I see someone just getting in there and we play to win, I mean, she's full on just dry. They had, we were the red lumberjacks because they're jacked up, all right? There was some little blue pirate, you know, just trying to hold on to this tire. And Kate Gale, she's just dragging this blue pirate and this tire. That, that pirate was sitting in that tire. I did see that pirate tried to kick her and trip her. That's what pirates do. They're sneaky now. But, man, she won. And, it, I mean, it's just amazing. But, but here's what I love about moments like that. They have moments like that. They have times where they're having fun, but it was interesting because Kate, who went, this was her first time, and, and there are a lot of things she said that she loved, but here's what she said. She said, the maturity level of the students and the spiritual maturity level of the students. She said, sometimes we think students, just they're just kind of there and they're young people, but like they're hungry. She said, y'all are hungry. They're, they're going after God. They're growing. I'm going to tell you why we, we purposefully make this a priority and intention. Because there's an all-out assault on this generation right here. There's an all-out assault technology, this echo chamber of what, what culture is trying to say, what it needs to look like. We're saying, no, no, no. Here's what God's word says. Here's what God says you can do. Here's how you, and when you lay that foundation, these kids are coming back. Middle schoolers are going uh, uh, next week, and it's going to be an amazing time. But I'm telling you, what happens is this. These moments are so significant. Because you may remember this in your own life, and I remember it in mine. I wasn't, I wasn't running towards things just because I was looking to get into trouble. 
It was because of a lack of vision. And what we want to do is fuel these young people with vision about their future, about their purpose, about their future marriage and future relationships. Because it's going to be vision that keeps them from making foolish decisions. It's going to be vision that says, I know what I'm looking for. I know who Jesus says I am. So I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the time that you took. I'm so proud of you, mom and dad, for prioritizing this. I'm so proud of our middle schoolers that are going next week. Because I'm just telling you, when you begin to get a vision for your family, even if at a young age, it does something different. And next week, I'm going to be talking about what is God's promises for our family? What does that look like? What does that mean? So, so proud of them. So glad they're back. So excited about what God's doing in their heart and their life and looking forward to what God's going to do in our middle schoolers next week. Well, you look at this. I want you to open up your Bibles, Matthew 26. We're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to also look at another scripture that ties into Matthew. It's the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians and we'll get there in just a second as well. But I think about the experience these young people had. I think about this weekend, lots going on, right? We had, we had Battle of the Sexes. You got Valentine's Day coming up tomorrow. Men, if you have not gotten your Valentine's Day gift, you better get something. Okay, you, you're in trouble. All right, I don't like to say this like hopeless, okay? I want to speak hope. But you best get out there and get something because it's getting real thin on those shelves out there. Or you better be praying, Lord, I hope that Amazon delivery truck gets here in time, okay? But, but you got Valentine's Day. And then we got a little thing today happening called the Super Bowl. Yeah, some of you are excited about Super Bowl. You get excited, you know. And let's be honest. I mean, Super Bowl, it's kind of like a, it's like a national holiday here. It's like just an excuse to throw a party. Really, you're looking for good food. You know, good food, you want good food, you want dips and chips. I was at a, I was at a party last night, I never had such a thing before. There were these dips, there was cattleman dip. It's written in real, like, fancy letters. I just kind of glanced at it real quick, and the dip looked kind of pink. I called it watermelon dip. I did it twice, and the lady was like, I think that says cattleman. I was like... It does. I guess I'm illiterate as well. You know, I just, but it was kind of like just quick. And I, it was like cowboy caviar. I don't know what that means, but there was beans in it. So it's got to be good. I mean, you're just looking for good food, you know, because let's be honest. Sometimes the game is, is, is okay. It's good. Um, uh, sometimes the, ha- the halftime show, honestly, it could go either way. It's kind of like if you have 17 and younger age children, you're like, please don't come in here. I don't know what's about to happen. But I did see something on the Internet the other day, and I'm about to show my age. Uh, and and uh, they, they were talking about the, those that are going to be performing at the halftime show. And, and this is what this graphic was. If you can hear this picture and, and the specific here. The 2022 Super Bowl halftime show is for you. So if you basically were in high school between like 92 and 96, you know exactly what that is. All the young people in here like, why does Pastor Chris have a shoe on the TV? Okay, this was a thing, okay, and it was like that, and you could hear him coming a mile away, okay. But the halftime show, you never know. You're probably going to need Freedom Weekend if you watch the halftime show. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. But, but you know, you really go, you think about it, it's really food. And it's your friends. You're looking for a good time and experience. And, and what I want to do today is, and by no means am I equating the Super Bowl to what I'm going to talk about today. But I'm going to show you a moment that was, was really a Super Bowl moment for Jesus. It was a significant moment. It was a significant time. And, and he's doing the same thing. He's gathered with friends. And he's having a meal with friends. And so we look at the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 
And there's this conversation, this interaction that's happening and that's going on. And it says this. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. We've been looking at that, studying that, discovering what is this new covenant that we now have in Jesus. He says, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what's Paul doing here? He's making this very real for the people. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's making it very real, and, and he's talking about what's happening in this moment with Jesus and the disciples. Now, we would call this communion, uh, uh, and, and Paul is referencing this as communion. The churches received communion for centuries now. But in the moment that he's referring to with Jesus and the disciples, it wasn't communion. It was a moment where they were celebrating a feast called Passover. Passover was a time where they're remembering what God had done for them. God had delivered the people out of Egypt. There was this moment, right, just before this deliverance comes. Angel of the Lord comes to Moses and says, Have all the people take the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb, and put it over the doorpost. And the angel will pass over. But every house that does not have the blood on their doorpost, the oldest child, the oldest son, will die. And sure enough, that happened in all across Egypt. Those that didn't have blood on the doorpost died. Yet in this moment, there's this Passover. And so Jesus is having this meal with his disciples. They would do it once a year in this celebratory feast, remembering what God has done for them. Now, this is significant because it's in this moment you begin to realize that what God does is as he works and moves in our life, there's always a tangible moment that he's calling us to where we remember what he's done in our life. There's this tangible interaction. You think about uh, the weekend that the young people just had. There's times where we've had moments called uh, D Now or Disciple Now weekends. And you kind of, I remember being around moments like that or helping lead those. And you kind of write <clears throat> the thing that, you know, maybe sin in your life or something you need freedom from. And there's a moment you take it and nail it to a cross. Or I can remember as a young man just growing in my relationship with God. I remember my mentor at one time, he was like, I was just having a hard time wrestling through the, through these things, and I wrote down a bunch of stuff that I just had guilt and shame for, and I remember throwing it in this barrel, and we lit it on fire, just kind of burning it before the Lord, or, or, or maybe you've been through grief counseling, and your therapist, or your, your, your counselor, or maybe a psychologist has encouraged you, you see people that will release balloons in, in remembrance of loved ones, what is that? There's nothing magical about those moments. It's simply a moment that you're taking and you're remembering symbolically what God has done. That is what the, the Passover feast was. It was a moment where they are celebrating and remembering this is the significance of what God has done in our life. And so it's more about the remembrance and coming back to that moment than it is about the actual action of the moment. We now would call that communion. You, you think about communion. I don't know what your communion experience was growing up. I know for me, I went to a church and it had a table up front. 
And it did. It said, in remembrance of me. I mean, it had it etched on the front, you know. Now we kind of like, you know, we'll pass, you know, down the aisle. You'll get the little, the, the elements, you know. You don't have to move. We just come right to you, you know, first class service. You know? it, during COVID, it's kind of like you got one. It's like you popped the top, you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, you opened it up. And it's kind of like, all right, you know, it's all right there. But when I was growing up, it was like everyone lined up. I mean, it's a full-on ordeal. Take 30 minutes. You'd think it was a reception, you know, or something. You're just like, what? And we'd all walk across with a big old loaf of bread. You'd take a piece off. You see folk, they're real hungry. They take big chunks off. They're like a lunch, you know. They dip it in a bowl, you know. And so it's kind of like, hey, man, you have little kids with you. They, like, take a nibble and then dip and then take a nibble again. Like, no double dipping, you know. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe you grew up in an environment like some of you grew up in an environment where you receive communion every day. You know, so you're wondering, you know, what do we do? Do we do we do bread? Do we do it like, I mean, I've seen people, they do Hawaiian rolls. I don't know. I mean, now you get into there's leaven in there. It's not. It's actually, you know, leaven represents it. So it's kind of like you need a wafer and no leaven. I don't know. You know, is it a Triscuit? Is it a Hawaiian roll? Do we do juice? Do we have a goblet? Maybe you had, you know, a big old guy. Everyone just kind of sips out of it. You know, it's like you look in there and floaties, you're like, I guess a two for one. I don't need to take bread. There's some in here. You know, it's like, I mean, you're like, what are we doing? You know? It's like, what's happening? I don't know. Now, now look, I, I'm not here to talk about the, the frequency of how often we receive communion. The Bible actually doesn't say you can receive communion every day. I think that's awesome. There have been seasons where I've known people, God has spoken to them to actually receive communion every single day because what God was wanting to do in their life, it's not about the frequency, it's about the power. It's not about all the technicalities of do we do triscuits or Hawaiian rolls or goldfish, do we do juice, do we do wine, do we drink out of a goblet, do we dip it in a bowl. It's not about any of those things. It's about the power of what it represents and what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to unpack that and, and see what that means and, and what's happening here. And so we're going to look at Matthew 26, and we're going to pick up in verse 26, but this is Matthew's account. This is Matthew's account of this Last Supper moment. Jesus is with the disciples. He's having this moment. They're celebrating Passover, and these are the words of Jesus in this moment with the disciples. Matthew 26, verse 26, we're looking at this new covenant that Jesus is about to bring us into. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. He then took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus told them, watch what happens. Look at what Jesus' words are here. It says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He tells them, look, every one of you, you're going to turn your back on me. You're, you're going to turn away from me after this significant moment that he's just had with them. He's like, this is it. You're going you're to turn, turn your back on me. 
Watch what happens. Verse 34. Truly, or verse uh, 32. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Then Peter replied. I love Peter. If any of you in here, you're like, I constantly put my foot in my mouth. I say things I shouldn't. I have poor timing. I talk too much. There's hope for you. Peter is your guy. Read Peter. He's really helped my heart, my soul. I relate to Peter a lot. I I find solace in the mistakes that he makes because it translates, okay? Look at what Peter says here. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus, I added that lot of I am here. I am dead. I ain't going anywhere. Jesus says, verse 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I mean, Peter is here. I mean, he's on a spiritual high. You ever had those moments? You're on a spiritual high. I'll never turn my back on God. I mean, he's just, I just got back from bots. I'm following you, Jesus. I'm all in. Ah, Jesus, I speak Jesus. I mean, you're just all about it. You're just in it. You're ready to go. Nighty to nothing. That's where these guys are at. That's how they're feeling. And Jesus goes, I'm glad you're excited. You're going to turn. You're going to fall away. Now nah, we ain't going to do it. I ain't gonna do. Peter's like, nah, I'll die before I do that. You know, he's making a promise. Jesus goes, you can promise all you want. You're gonna deny me three times. No, no, no. I never. I'm gonna die before all the other disciples say yes. Here's what happens after this. Jesus actually takes Peter, James, and John. They go. This is right before he gets arrested. He's praying in the garden. He's like, hey, come pray with me, guys. Those guys start praying. I don't know how long it took. I know I've been in moments where I'm kind of tired. I'm praying, talking to Jesus. Before I know it, my own snoring wakes me up. I'm like, fall asleep. These guys, they fell asleep. Jesus wakes them up three times. Wake up, wake up. Could you not tarry? Could you not pray but one hour with me? They come and arrest Jesus. They take him away. And as you read what Jesus described what happened, happens. Peter follows along to see what's going on, and guess what happens? People begin to recognize him. Weren't you the one that walked with Jesus? Didn't you walk with No, not me. No, not me. Third time. No, not me. Then the rooster crows, and it's in that moment, as you read in God's Word, there's actually a moment where Jesus is bound up, and he makes eye contact with Peter. Think of what Peter must have felt in that moment. I failed. I made a mistake. You ever been there before? I've been there. I failed, I made a mistake, I've let someone down, I've broken a promise, what am I going to do? You feel such guilt and such shame and you're overwhelmed. That's what he felt. Now here's what happens though. Here's what begins to happen. Because I don't know about you, but when you're walking through that moment and you feel overwhelmed by those things, what I know is this, is when I look in my own life and having walked with people for over 20 years, having been in ministry and pastored people, whenever I fail, whenever we fail, you know what we tend to do? We always go back to what we knew. We always go back to where we were. And that's exactly what Peter and the disciples did. In fact, we're going to look at John's account of what's transpiring in John 21 in just a minute. You see, because now Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen again. 
And what happens is Jesus comes and he's actually looking for the disciples. He comes to pursue them. That's what I love about Jesus. In the middle of your mistakes, in the middle of your failures, you're running back to what you used to do. And Jesus is coming looking for you. I love that Jesus is not the God of a second chance. Because if he stopped it too with me, I would have been done a long time ago. But he's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. And you may be in here today thinking, I've made so many. I've imploded my life. I've got a broken marriage. I've got kids I don't have a relationship with. Maybe you're a young person and you're like, Pastor Chris, if you knew what I've done, my life is over. You ain't even like 18 yet. It's amazing how you can think, my life is over. you got the best days ahead of you. Because no mistake is too big for the purpose and plan of God For your life. And Jesus comes looking for them. And watch what happens in John chapter 21 verse 15. It says when they had finished eating. Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon son of John. Do you love me more than these? Yes Lord he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said feed my lambs. Now what I love about Jesus here is. Jesus didn't come and go. Hey Peter. First, first interaction, he talks about love and engagement. The first thing he did wasn't come to Peter and go, Hey, Peter, you remember when I said you're going to deny me three times? Yeah, you did that. Yeah, you made a mistake. He doesn't come and, and bring up all Peter's shortcomings and all his failures. He engages with him in relationship and talks about love and talks about purpose and talks about what he's called him to do. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, some people think and would say that Jesus potentially did this three times because he's correlating it to how Peter denied him three times. But what you recognize in this is you see where Peter is trying and has tried. He's gone back to what he's always known. He centered himself around the things that are familiar to him. But what Jesus is doing is calling him into something deeper. He's saying, I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. I have something significant for you. But Peter doesn't recognize it at first. He doesn't see what's happening and he doesn't, he doesn't recognize that what Jesus is doing is saying, I'm, I love you and I'm calling you into something greater. You see, Jesus doesn't bring up our faults. That's why communion, even when you look at communion and the principle of what was happening there, Peter makes a promise in this moment. He breaks the promise. I'll never turn from you. I'll die for you. You see, communion is not just this one-time thing. It's a recentering and saying, Jesus, I didn't get here in my own strength. I didn't do this on my own. And what it took me to get here was your grace and your goodness in my life. And so I'm leaning into that. 
You see, what I love about Jesus is this, is that even in our shortcomings, even when we can't keep our promise, just like Peter, Jesus remains faithful to his. You see, I want to talk to you about the promise that we have in communion. I want to talk to you about how this applies to our our everyday life. Think about it. Have you ever made a decision that you've agonized over? You you ever made a mistake and you think, how am I going to recover? How am I going to get past this? How am I going to work through this? Like, God, is this it? it, Can I recover from this? And what I love is in situations like that, just like we see with Peter, you have Jesus' response, but then you have our response. See, typically our response when we make a mistake, even though God is faithful, we tend to pull away. We pull away from, from the people of God, the people that God puts around us, people that are believers that are growing in their relationship with God. We pull away because we think, well, what if they judge me? What if they think less of me? You come into worship and you feel guilty and unworthy because you've made mistakes and you haven't, you, haven't, you haven't done all the right things and checked all the right boxes. You see, the enemy comes and, and he brings guilt and shame and tells you where you come up short and why you're not good enough and why you don't deserve the love and the goodness of God. But that's not what Jesus does. You see, Jesus has a greater promise. Jesus responds to us in a significantly different way when we can't keep our promise. And the first thing he does is this, is he gives his goodness which leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. I I don't know about you, but I get, when I make a mistake, I can get real practical. I get dialed into like, how did we get here? I tell the team all the time, hey, solving problems is good. Finding the right problem is better. Because we can run around solving problems all day long, but we better find the right one. Let's adjust this. Let's fix this. Maybe you and in business, you're like, let's do a SWOT analysis. And let's figure out what do we need to do and how do we adjust and how do we change. And what's the trajectory of the market. You're trying to, you're overanalyze. And so it becomes very practical on how you try and relate. And yet with Jesus, it's a lot more simple. Because we think and we live in a culture and because the access that we have and the accessibility that we have to information and technology, we think the more I know, the better I'll be. The more I know, I'll be a good person. I'll get it right. I'll figure it out. But that's not it. When you've done this as long as I have, I've been doing this over 20 years. I know a lot of people, and you know, even a lot of people in ministry, love the Lord. They've been serving God. They have all the information in the world, yet they've fallen away. Why? Because their own intellect and strength could not sustain them. It's only the love of Jesus. It's not any words that I say. It's not a podcast you listen to. It's not a blog you read. It's not your Jesus calling devotion or the things that you try and do and the routine that you have to spend time with Jesus. Those things are all well and good. But at the end of the day, what's going to transform your life? The love of Jesus. It's Jesus who transforms, who makes a difference, who makes it. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. You see, when you recognize that, you see that it's not just this one-time moment. I come to Jesus, I surrender my life in this one moment. He's my Lord and Savior. I do that only one time as my Lord and Savior. But can I tell you, I always come back to Jesus because he's the source. I need him. I come back on a continual basis to surrender because I need Him as my source. I can't be the source. 
I can't find the peace that I need in and of myself. I need Jesus. And it's his love that leads us to repentance. You see, I love that when Jesus came, look back at John 21, 15, 16, and 17. When he came to Peter, he didn't bring up all his shortcomings. Look at what he says here. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's bringing it back and saying, do you love me? It's the one question he's answering. Why? Because he's saying, I love you, Peter. Maybe you relate to that. Lots of mistakes. Lots of denial. Lots of turning your back on on God and pushing him away and, and feeling overwhelmed and thinking... But, but he's bigger than that. You know, you think about that phrase, love, you know, and, and right now it's Valentine. And, you know, it's like in the air and, you know, it's everywhere you go. And, and I, I'll just be transparent. I had a big parenting fail yesterday. I, I, Wendy had an event at the house. She was hosting some women for some things. She's like, babe, take the kids out and go get the little the, the Valentine stuff for, for school. I'm like, got it. No problem. I'm a dad of the year award right here. Let's go, girl. Let's have fun. Let's go shop. We walk into Walmart. I'm like, here we are. We ready. We're going to buy Valentine's stuff. Give me them cards. What do y'all want, girls? What's out right now? We can get them. I walk up. Man, them shelves are bare. Look like it did when it froze a couple days, uh, a couple weeks ago. It's like no food anywhere. No, there was no Valentine's stuff. No, it's like half torn, like mangled, like like you know teddy bears and like chocolate that nobody wanted and like cards just thrown all over the place. There's nothing there. I'm like, this is not good. This this is a problem. This is so. I said, all right, just hang tight, girls. I, I'm the I'm the adult. I'm the parent. I'm a, I'm okay. We're okay. It's going to be all right. And you're speaking hope to him, right? We get in the car. We go across. We go into Target. Let's go to Target. We go back there. Hey, where's y'all's? I knew it was bad when I asked the guy this, and this is what he said. I said, hey, where's the, you know, the little cards kids give out in, in school? You know, He's like, if I have any left. I'm like, they're in the way back, back there, like by the door where they come out and bring out all the stuff, you know, the big double door. Back there, I go back there. Nothing. It's bare. We're driving all over. Of course, my 11-year-old, she's real kind of matter-of-fact. She's like, well, Dad, this is what happens when you wait two days before Valentine's. I was like, stop. Those are moments where I can hear Wendy in my, in my ear. She's like, Camden, she's just like you. She, I'm like, sound like someone. Sound like you're right, but don't tell me that. Come on, let's go. We're driving everywhere. We're looking. Valentine's car, where they got to be something? We end up at five below. Thank God for five below. They didn't have any either, but here's what we did find they had dum dums in a bag, and, and I guess the way they had them wrapped, it had a little heart on there. It said, to and from, I was like, this is going to do. You're going to give out dum dums, and we're going to write names on there for these kids, you know. You think about the candy and all the cards and all those things, and Valentine, it reminds me uh, of, of this candy. You ever had these little hearts? Yeah, they're terrible. They're, it's just, they're terrible. It's like eating chalk. It's like colored chalk. I mean, that's what it, with words on it. But when you open it up, you know, you're, you're looking at that candy, and you're like, man, this stuff tastes terrible. But you're looking, what's the message on the heart? Well, what's it saying? You see, what I want you to get and what I want you to know is the message to you today is life can feel terrible. Jesus loves you. 
He has a plan and purpose for you. You're not too far gone in the mistakes you've made and the shortcomings and the inadequacies and the breaking of your promise when you said, God, I'll never fall away. God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be the spouse and the parent and the leader that I need to be. And you've come up short. He says, I love you. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans. When he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You see, God's leading you to repentance. Repentance is not just a turning away from, it's a turning to. Which is the second thing that Jesus does when we come up short and we break our promise. What he does is he restores us back to purpose. He brings us into a place and he restores the purpose that he has for us. You see, it's purpose that gets us back on track. He redeems us in our relationship with him. But not only does he redeem us in our relationship, but he also redeems our purpose in the things that he's called us to do. When you look back again, that same section of scripture in John 21, those same three verses. What's he telling Peter to do? He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He says, go back to your purpose. Your temptation when you fail is to go back to what you've always known. Go back to fishing. Go back to all those things. No, no, no. He said, time out. You're off track. Remember, I called you. I set you apart. I destined you to lead people and to lead my sheep. So when you make a mistake, don't go back to what you've always done. You know what I love about Jesus is when I look at people and I look and I see and I watch, and I, when it's the people in life that feel like I've done too much, I've gone too far, I've made too many mistakes, that when they recognize and they receive what Jesus has done in their life, that all of a sudden they make the greatest impact for the kingdom. Because the passion and the understanding that they have. If you're in a place where you go, man, I've made so many mistakes, I've gone too far, I've gotten way off track, I love it. I'm amazed when I see God take someone that has essentially just imploded their life. And yet when they fully surrender to God and they receive who he says he is. And they receive who he says they are. That they walk in that purpose. You see, God wants to speak to you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And your mistakes or your shortcomings or your inadequacies and all the reasons why you feel like God can't use you, it's not true. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He's got great things that he wants to do in and through you, and he will. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing for Peter. Calling him in to a greater purpose. Which then leads to the third thing that Jesus does for us. His blood Makes us overcome. Revelations 12, 11 says, And they overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. You see, we don't overcome through willpower and spiritual discipline. We overcome when we put our trust in what he did and when we recognize the power of the blood of the Lamb in our life. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet. We're going to do something a little different today as we receive communion. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and they're going to begin to pass the elements down the road to you. Just simply 
Take one. The uh, elements are actually stacked, so you're actually picking up two cups. Go ahead, ushers. They're going to pass this down. But, you know, communion is, is significant. Because communion is not just about the crackers and the juice. It's not just about the cross and Jesus' crucifixion. As I said, when we receive communion, you may have grown up in a context where communion was this ritual that you always did. Maybe you grew up in a tradition or a heritage, as I said, where you took it on a weekly basis. But it's more than just those things. When we receive communion, it's a recentering. It's coming back to Jesus saying, Jesus, I can't do this in my own strength. I didn't arrive here on my own. It's a moment of re-surrender. Jesus, I recognize what you've done in my life. I recognize the freedom that, that, that I have in you. I recognize that in my shortcomings, in my mistakes, in the ways in which I come up short, God, you make up the difference. And here's what begins to happen. You see, when you believe what the Word of God says, then you recognize what the blood of Jesus does in our life. You see, what the Word says, the blood does. Even in the midst of your broken promises. Even in the midst of your shortcomings. You see, I think for some of us, we've gone through the ritual of receiving communion, and we, we know it. We know the sacraments, we know the elements, but do you really believe what God's Word says I now have access to because of what His blood does in my life? So I'm going to lead us through a little exercise. We're going to look at some areas in our life and see what does the blood of Jesus do in our life when it comes to these areas in our life. Because these are all areas that we experience in our life. And we're going to read scripture and we're actually going to read it all together out loud. But maybe you've experienced guilt and shame in your life. You're ashamed of where you've ended up. You've ashamed because your marriage didn't end up the way you thought or the way you wanted. You feel guilty for the decisions you've made. You feel guilty because you're in a season of life where now you're gathering and and understanding that, hey, hold on, I want to win where it matters most, but there was such a long period of time where you didn't focus on those things. And so you feel guilt and shame. But can I tell you what God's Word says? When we believe what God's Word says, we recognize and receive what His blood does for us. And so we're going to read this out loud. We're going to read this together. Hebrews 12, 2. Let's say this out loud together. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That truth right there, because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with guilt. You don't have to live overwhelmed. You are set free from that. You're set free from that. Maybe, maybe you've experienced what it feels like to have destructive habits and addictions. Maybe you're recognizing your habits and your addictions. They, they, they've caused you to lose a marriage. They've caused you fracture in relationships. They've caused situations that have brought turmoil in your family. But can I tell you, God brings freedom from that. Here's what His Word says. Let's say it together. The blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. You're set free. 
That's God's promise. You're declaring God's word. I believe that what the word says, the blood does in my life. And I have freedom from those things. I have freedom from the addictions and freedom from the destructive habits in my life. What about sickness and disease? Maybe emotional and physical healing. You need that in your body. Isaiah 53, 5. Let's say it together out loud. But he, has, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Because of the blood of Jesus, there's restoration for your soul. There's healing for your soul. There's significance for your soul. His word said it. The blood of Jesus, it does it. What about anxiety and worry? I mean, you want to talk about an all-time high. Anxious for so much. But there's freedom. There's freedom. Colossians 1.20. Let's say it together. By making peace through His blood shed on the cross. What's Paul writing there? He's saying, you don't get peace on your own. It's what He did on the cross. The peace that you need in your life is found in Him. His Word said it. His Word said it. I believe it to be true. And now because of that, what the blood of Jesus is, does it for me. Here's the last one we'll read together. Loneliness and isolation. You're wondering, so many people moving to this area, so many, so much transition that's happening. People alone looking for relationships, wondering, will I ever experience spiritual family? What will that look like? Will I be alone? Will it always be this way? Here's what God's Word says, Ephesians 2, 13. Let's say it together. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The enemy will lie to you. Tell you you're alone. You're in it by yourself. It may be guilt. It may be shame. It may be mistakes that you've made. It can be all of these things. Can I tell you? Some of these scripture may be new to you. Some of it, it's scripture you've read before. But can I tell you? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have access because of the blood of Jesus to recognize we can experience this in our life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for the freedom that we have. I thank you that you give freedom from anxiety and worry. You bring freedom from loneliness. You bring freedom from guilt and shame. You bring healing and wholeness in our body and healing and wholeness in our emotions. And I thank you, Jesus, that what you're doing right now, I pray right now for every single person in here that can hear the sound of my voice that's thinking they're too far gone, they made too many mistakes, they can't recover, this is just their lot in life. God, you're bigger. Your word said it, and I believe it. And because of that, I now receive what your blood did for me on that cross. Thank you for healing and for wholeness. I thank you that as we go into this communion moment, 
That it's not just a ritual that we've done before, but we recognize the access and the power of what this moment means. It's a recentering, saying, God, it's not going to be willpower. It's not going to be strength that's going to get me through my fear, my anxiety, my worry, my guilt, my shame, my loneliness. Those things aren't going to get me through. It's the blood of Jesus in my life that's going to get me through. In Jesus' name.